Yay. All right. You guys doing all right? Worship was really good. Thank you, Lucas, Glenn, and Hannah. Um, it was really awesome. Um, I just got married uh, to Jinwa, to my honey. Um, we've been married, what, a month and a half almost? A month and three weeks, something like that. All right. Um, and, uh, whew, all right. Um, who all was here last week? Most of you, half of you, three quarters. Okay, um, last week was really awesome. Like, um, it was just amazing. Like, I mean, Bubba spoke and and, uh, talks about it in in Ephesians chapter 4 about how sometimes that ministers have grace to give to to the saints so that when you receive from someone who's speaking that there's a grace that's created in your own life to to walk in what they're walking in and, and to walk in the destiny that God has for you just because you... You've chosen to receive from someone who's who has a grace and who's and who's giving and who's ministering to you. And last week was crazy. Like, um, I mean, while Bubble was speaking, I mean, personally, I know many people got touched, but I got touched while he was speaking. It was as if like it's hard to explain it, but if like the grace for the prophetic was so deep inside of me and so strong inside of me that if I didn't pray over or prophesy over something, like, I felt like I was going to die. Like, I was like, I, I, we did these little groups, and I was over there, and there was, like, six of us, and I just kept prophesying over people. And then, like, it, like, built, and I was like, I'm not done. I have to find someone right now who needs to pray. And so I was, like, asking everybody, can I pray for you? And and I prayed for Travis. I don't think he's here, but I think um, I think he was healed of his headache, which was great. And then, um, then like, it was still strong. So, like, Jen Wall had to go shopping, so we just, we, we, the, I had to let what was in me out, and, um, so we just were going shopping, and there was this guy who only spoke Spanish, and so I was giving him words of knowledge in Spanish, asking him about if his, uh, I think this is the word for back, and in, in Spanish, en pesar, se, se duele, or te duele, and he was como, and I was, uh, Quiero orar para tu. And he was like, oh, yeah. He was confused. But anyway, and then, you know, we kept on going further. And uh, the Lord showed me that this woman had uh, arthritis in her right wrist. And she, we got to pray for her. And we got to pray for her shoulder. And we just got to bless them. And, and it was amazing. And then Sunday, the same thing happened. It was just that Adam was speaking. And again, that same prophetic grace just... The, the, the supernatural grace of the Holy Spirit came inside of our spirits again and it was the same thing we got so filled up that we had to pray for someone we had to do something because when God comes in you you have to let him out it's like it's, it's a hard thing to explain and so we prayed for a guy who had had ligament problems and was unable to do this without pain and, and um, he was 95% the pain was 95% gone that day and then the next morning he was 100% gone, and he was able to run um, on his ligament, so that was good news. And then the Lord just kept pouring out. Like, we went to the smoke pit, and while we were in line, the Lord showed a picture of a woman who had my— I saw, I saw like, this picture of a brain, and I saw, like, it felt like there was sandpaper on the brain, and so I just asked her if she had migraines, and turned out that she had migraines, so I got to pray for her. And then the prophetic grace was still strong, and so I had to go to work, and— and I went to work, and while I was at work, I looked at this guy, 
and I felt like the Lord wanted to do something over him and so I asked him if he'd ever chipped his teeth really bad and so and he had and he had two chipped teeth in his back because he'd chewed on something recently and they'd both been chipped and damaged really bad so I got to pray for him and so it was really awesome just like what happens a lot when people minister and you receive them with an open heart it says in Matthew chapter 10 if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet you receive a prophet's reward and one of the really the places of church especially nowadays since since we're going for the supernatural is is that church is the place where you get filled up in order to go out into the world and to display the works of the gospel to display the power of the Holy Spirit and to touch the lost and to touch everyone that you come in contact with and um, so that was last week so I hope this week's just as good but I mean I you know can't can't you know can't plan that or whatever but um so I they asked me to they asked me to speak and um to speak just on prophecy and on growing in the in the Holy Spirit and and um I really didn't feel like I had anything to say and so I was just praying and just asking the Lord and I felt like um he put a word in my heart about sonship um so if we could I'd want us all to turn to John chapter 5 and um We'll look in the scriptures there. John chapter 5. Who else likes the book of John? <sighs> it's one of my favorite books in the whole entire Bible. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was able to read Matthew, Mark, and Luke in a way like I could read them while I was eating lunch. I could just read it and eat and just think. But when I read John, it was weird because when I, I couldn't, I couldn't approach it like it was a normal book. For some reason, it was weird. Like, I, when I read it, I ha- it felt like I was dealing with, like a, like, a sensitive, like, daughter or something or, like, a sensitive person. And I felt like when I read it, I couldn't approach it in a sense that I could logically understand it. But I had to approach it in a humble, like, like it was holy. I mean, the Bible's holy, but it was a weird thing that I've had with John. And I've always had this love for the book of John because it's more than just, you know, some random like uh reports about jesus's life but it's one of his best friends telling his personal the inner workings and the inner desires of jesus's heart in a more intimate way than the other gospels so john's one of my favorite gospels by far um and in john chapter five um we have this story where there's a man who's um been sick for 38 years and um you know he's sitting by this pool and and this pool is is one that you know has been presumed to have these supernatural powers where whoever the first one is if you're the lucky guy who somehow gets in there first when the water starts stirring then you get miraculously healed and if you're not first then it's not your lucky day you gotta wait till the time it stirs again so it's like um oh i hit my ear can you guys hear me okay sweet all right this thing all right but um so it's like i don't know like holy spirit will of fortune or holy spirit jet lottery or i don't know just like you ought to get lucky somehow and then if you're in the right place at the right time and you're doing the right things then god's going to touch you um but um in this circumstance there's a man who's who's been sick for 38 years and um he's just sitting there and jesus comes up to this man because he feels led by the lord to go touch this man and talk to this man and um and when he does jesus goes and he steps out in faith and he says, I want you who's sick to pick up your mat and walk. And so, I, and so the man, for some reason, strength comes into his legs and he gets automatically, he gets miraculously healed. And then, um, you know, he gets in some trouble with the Pharisees because he's walking around with his mat on the Sabbath. And, you know, they, they had that thing about the Sabbath where 
they it was a really big deal that you don't do things on the Sabbath. And so they questioned Jesus about it, and um, he says in John five nineteen, um, I only do what I see my Father doing. Or he said, I'll read it. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. So he reveals to the Pharisees and to the people that questioned him, he said, you know, it wasn't really my decision to make this guy well. It was more God's decision, and I was just doing what God was doing. And so he's inadvertently saying, you know, it's not my problem, it's God's problem, so don't be mad at me, be mad at God, is pretty much what he's saying. But, but um, and then he goes on, and um, in verse 20, this is sort of the main verse of what I want to talk about. Um, he sort of gives the inner workings of his heart and the inner workings of his relationship with God. And um, before I preface this, like, um, I want to, about two years ago, um, there was a conference here where um, the, there's a church from California um, called Bethel Church um, sent a couple of their speakers here and a couple of their people on their ministry time and, and they came in and they ministered to us and there was this guy named Joaquin Evans and he was just this incredibly just humble and gifted and, and man of faith and power and he ministered to us and he he talked a lot of things about a lot of things um, but uh one thing that he said that really touched me was he talked about this guy, this friend of his, who would um, constantly go on dates with Jesus. And um, he would describe this thing. And um, it, was, it was such an interesting thing the way he described it. But he said he would go out in public and he would treat it like it was a date with Jesus where he would, you know, just go in the car and he'd go to a certain place. And he'd do whatever he felt Jesus wanted to do. And so whatever he felt Jesus wanted to do, he would just do that. And he said because of this practice in this guy's life, this guy became extremely close to Jesus. And um, out of everything that I heard in that whole entire conference, that stuck with me the most. And that inspired me the most. It put this vision on my heart. Now, obviously, I'm a guy. And um, I don't like the idea of dating Jesus, you know. Jesus was a Jewish man. He probably had a dark complexion. I don't like men, and I don't like dark, dark complexion. I like Asian women. I'm married to one. Um, so the idea of dating Jesus really isn't, it wasn't my thing. But the, what, what, does, what does strike me as something that's really cool is that I had a really good dad. And um, with me and my dad, and my little brothers here who bear witness to this, one of the traditions that my dad would do with us is that, he would take us out on these things called special times. Um, and a special time was, was really simple, where he'd take one of the kids and he'd bring us to ice cream or bring us to a ball game or he'd just drive us to the movies. And while we were doing it, he'd talk to us about our lives and he'd talk to us about the desires of our hearts and, and, he'd, and he'd just talk and he'd just, you know, he'd do whatever we wanted to do and stuff like that. And... Um, I mean, it, just those times of my life were just so extreme. Were so extremely defining for me of learning who God was and and learning, you know, sort of God's heart for me. Because early, from early on in my age, I was encountered with a father who I knew believed in me and I knew took an interest in me and I knew um, wanted me to do well even at his own expense. And also, like that, I wasn't a burden to him, but that I was something that he enjoyed. 
And um, so my, one of my prayers has always been, God, I want to know you to be better than my earthly father. And so instead of going on dates with Jesus, I decided to go on special times with my father. So, it's, so I don't have to deal with the, you know, it's more heterosexual that way. Um, and so that's what I want to preface about John 5.20. So I'm going to read it now. So it took a long introduction to get there. But okay, anyway, it says this. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will all marvel. I want to read that last phrase again. It says, The Father will show him greater works than these so that you will all marvel. And I just think that that phrase, so that you will all marvel, is just, it's just something that's like really just caught my heart and it's just been something that's really just been on my heart. It's just that the purpose of everything supernatural, the purpose of everything spiritual is that the people who witness it, the people who come in contact with a God encounter, that their hearts would be open to a revelation of who God really is. It's like Jesus says, not only did I raise this guy who was 38 years sick and he got healed, but God's going to show me greater things. And the purpose of it would that there would be a spirit of wonder in your life, that worship would be the place from your heart where you look and you say, God, you're incredible. God, how did you heal that man? God, how did you know that? And it's from this place, this romance of getting to know who God is. That's why, that's the main reason why Jesus prophesied that he was going to come into increase. And, and worship is something that's really incredible. Like Adam preached it a month, month and a half ago, but a worshiper, someone who worships becomes the object that they see. It's a, it's a principle in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, We all beholding with unveiled face the glory of the Lord are transformed. Well, let me read it. Okay, you know, it's, that's, that's a sort of close. All right, let me just. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord as in a mirror are being transformed into that same image from glory to to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So the purpose of the supernatural, ultimately, is that every person who you come in contact with would get a revelation of the true nature of God. And Adam talks about it in Isaiah 32. He talks about how the king's going to have princes. Okay, so the king is obviously the king who has a kingdom, which is Jesus, which is God, the Father. And the princes are the sons of God. Well, and it says that these princes are going to be shelters from the storm. And he preached on how we're called to be shelters from the storm. And it's one of the, I think it's a really profound truth. Because there comes a time when someone, in their relationship with God, they have an experience of God and they have an experience of the Christ where Jesus is their shelter. Jesus is their stronghold. Jesus is their fortress. And they know in their heart that Jesus is the Christ who's come to save and deliver them from every problem they face, and it creates that unshakable peace and that foundation upon which they can live their life from. 
And when someone has that in their heart, and when you're walking in that revelation, in that reality, when you come in contact with people who live in turmoil and who live in anxiety and stress, just by being around you, they feel peace. It's like someone goes up to you and they're just like, I don't know what it is, but whenever I'm around you, I just don't feel anxiety. I don't feel heaviness. All I feel is just that everything's okay. I just feel at ease. And the reason why is because you have a working revelation in your heart that says, in the deepest core of my being, I know it's going to be all right because you've encountered God. And further on, this is sort of my opinion. So you can't really like, if a theologian is here and is exegeting what I'm saying, then you're probably going to notice that it might be wrong. But in Revelation chapter 4, it's one of my favorite chapter books in the whole entire, favorite books in the whole entire Bible. But in Revelation chapter 4, there's these four living creatures. And um, it says, since they were created, they've been looking at God, the Father, in His glory, and they're covered with eyes. So covering with eyes means that they have a revelatory spirit. Their eyes are open, and they're actually able to see God for who He really is. And then you see that there's these four beings, but they're four distinctly different beings. You have an eagle, you have a lion, you have an ox, and then you have one who has got the face of a man. And it's so interesting because, it, and this is my opinion, but I believe that these four different beings have been staring at greater and greater revelations of a specific nature of God for, throughout eternity. And the more they see it, the more they have been changed into that being until they are actually that being. It's like the eagle represents the God who soars high and looks, has a great vision and can see everything. The eagle represents the prophetic part of God who knows men and sees men and still thinks that they're awesome. And then you've got the lion, which is the, the part of God that like stands and nothing has the ability to stand against him. All of his enemies fall before his name. Everything that challenges him dies at the pronouncement of his name and that everything that raises his name against him and his Christ, he, like a lion, is without fear and without trembling, faces it and overcomes it. And so that creature has just been seeing that revelation of God his whole entire life and then he becomes a lion. Or you've got the one that's like an ox where it's God is the God of provision. He's the one who fattens my ox and he's the one who makes, you know, makes my wallet thick. I don't know, you know, like the God who provides for me financially, the God who blesses my life, you know, and then you've got the mace of a man, which is wisdom, you know, God's ways and everything that he says is right. And his way, if I completely submit myself to his Holy Spirit, as it reveals to me the word of God, it's going to lead me into the best possible life that I can live. And I've seen and experienced this throughout my life. And that's who you know God to be. And it's like these four living creatures have lived and they've lived in this constant experience of God. And so now they're actually becoming what they've seen God to be. And I just think that's incredible. Uh, So, I mean, a couple of weeks or about a month and a half ago, I was on a delivery. And um, I, uh, there was a guy who I sort of knew and um, knew him a little bit. And uh, I opened the door and uh, he didn't look so well. So um, I said, hey, what's wrong? And um, he said, well, he said, I've got cancer. And so um, I said, man, I said, that's horrible. You know, like I said, you know, that's horrible. And he knew me enough to know that I was a Christian. And so, um, 
So I told him, I said, you know, I, I said, you know, I'm a Christian. And um, he said, yeah. And I said, and uh, I try to believe in one impossible thing every day. And um, I said, I know that you have cancer. And I know that it's impossible that your cancer would leave your body. But I believe in a God who can do the impossible. And I believe in a God who is higher than cancer. And I don't believe that cancer has the right to make anyone ever be afraid for any reason. Even though I didn't say that to him. I'm, I'm preaching. Okay, but I did say I believe in a God who heals cancer. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. All right, but I said that. Okay, and so and then I said, would it be all right if I prayed for you? And, um, and he said, and he said, yeah. He said, yeah, you can pray for me. And um, so um, 30, 45 seconds, maybe a minute. I don't think it was more than a minute. I prayed for him. You know, I blessed his body. I released, you know, the power of God. And I cursed the cancer. You know, that, I don't remember exactly what I said. You know, I prayed in the name of Jesus. I'm sure I did that. Um, and, and then I left. And um, about two weeks ago, I had a delivery again to his house. And um, he was really bright looking. He looked really bright. And so I asked him, I said, how are you doing? Uh, what's, what's the doctor saying? He said, he said, the doctor doesn't know what happened to me. But uh, he said, he didn't want to tell me this earlier, but he had prostate cancer, and he had a tumor on his prostate. And the doctor said, not only is your tumor gone, but the cancer's completely gone. And so I said, wow. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. And so I said, dude, God healed your cancer. And he's like, oh, yeah, man, it's, it's crazy. And um, I want to see if I can tell the rest of the story. Okay, you guys don't know who it is, okay? But, mm. Okay, I'll... I'll okay, uh, no, I'm not... I'll, okay, I wish I could tell it, but I can't tell it because of the microphone. I'll tell you guys later if you guys want. Ask me about it personally, and I'll tell you the rest of the story later. Okay. But it makes it cooler, in my opinion. Whatever. Whatever. Sorry. All right. Um, okay, anyway, so gifts, the gift of the Holy Spirit, a gift of the Holy Spirit. The word actually means charis, charis. It, it means charisma. It means grace is what it means, a gift of grace or whatever. But really is it, it's the supernatural divine ability to reveal God to someone in a specific way. Okay, sometimes people think his gift is like something that like I possess. And it's true, you, you do possess a grace. But more of it, it's like I have the ability to show you who God is. And one of the things about evangelism that makes the supernatural so great is that anyone who does evangelism knows that if someone doesn't believe God, the last thing you want to do is try to convince them through words that to follow God. The easier thing to do is to show them that God loves them. You know, it's just to be like, listen, you know, God thinks this about you and, you know, this and this and this. And then instead of putting this manipulative follow God or whatever edge, you go at the approach of saying, let me show you how much God loves you and cares about you. And then you make the decision. And that, and I, anyway, but that's, that's, that's one of the pursuits of the gifts that makes it so great. And why gifts are so great. The graces of the Holy Spirit are so great for evangelism. Um, now, the first part of the verse um, in John 5.20 is the father loves the son. Um, and shows him all these things that he's doing. And um, one of the things that um, I've realized a lot is that many of us know that we're called to be like Jesus, right? 
WWJD, okay? The bracelet, we all had one. I had one. I think I had a bumper sticker too. I think I had a lot. My mom was in the in the children's ministry, so we had like pretty much every WWJD thing that you can get. We had the shoelaces. We had it all. So everyone knows that we're called to be like Jesus, and it's not just like Jesus in the in the natural sense, like in the sense of his heart, you know, towards people, which is also probably even more amazing, but not just in the sense of, you know, his internal heart and his internal perspective of people, his love towards people, his humility, his obedience, but also in the sense of what he did, of the supernatural miracles that he did. We're called to be like Jesus in that way. That's why we're called Christians, little Christ. And um, one of the things that is hard is that right now it's like we know we're called to be like Jesus, but at the same time it's like I'm not like Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, I know I'm called to be like Jesus, but I'm not like Jesus. And so we have this divide. And um, so we understand that we're called to grow. And we're called to come into this place where it's like, you know, I might not be able to manifest, and I might not have the inward heart that Jesus has right now, but I'm growing. And I might not have the supernatural grace of the Holy Spirit in everything that I do, but I'm growing. I'm getting better. And um, I think that understanding that it's not something that just happens, um, you know, immediately, but it's a process of growth and mistakes and trials and all these things that brings us to the Christ-likeness. I think it really helps me. See, because when everyone gets born again, um, it's like when you're born for the first time. Um, right now, I'm an ESL teacher, and I'm taking my master's in ESL. And one of the things they teach us is that children have to learn how to speak just the same way they have to learn how to walk and they learn how to speak by making tons of mistakes and it's just like that with the supernatural it's just like that with prophecy like if if you have a vision to be like christ and you know you're over here but you know you have to be here if you have a view of god that believes that Every time you make a mistake that he's got a baseball bat with a spike on the end that's going to hit you, every time you make a mistake or every time you get a prophetic word wrong, it's, it hits you really hard and, and he says, bat, and you get punished for it, then what's going to happen is, is that instead of coming to this place of Christ-likeness, you're forever going to be stuck here because it's about not failing. And what happened, the Old Testament taught that all the time. It says all of well, not all over, but a couple of verses in the Old Testament, if a prophet misses a word or if a prophet speaks presumptuously, you're supposed to take stones and kill him. Like it's, pfft, kill him. Um, and, uh, but God doesn't treat us like that. In the New Testament, we see Jesus speaking John 15, which is such an interesting. In the Old Testament, we have, if a prophet speaks a word presumptuously, stone him and kill him. And in the New Testament, we have John 15, verses 1 through 2, which is the parable about a vine, which is another one of my favorite scriptures. I'm just going to read it, um, and then I'll try to maybe understand it. It says, uh, verse 1 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So here we have this interesting picture, okay? Old Testament revelation of who God is according to the supernatural. If you miss a word 
in the supernatural in the Old Testament covenant, you're killed. New Testament, Jesus says growth is like a vine. And when a vine is beginning, I'm not a vine farmer at all. I don't know anything about it. But I have heard other people who've talked about it and said I'm saying what they're saying. So I hope they're right. Otherwise, I'm going to look really bad. All right. But when um, a vineyard is growing and when grapes are growing, it starts out where most of it, there's a little bit of fruit, and then most of it is like nasty, like weeds. I don't know what else that word is, but weeds and grass and leaves and barbs or whatever. And it needs to be cleaned. Okay? And so... The first step is like, it's like the Old Testament says you make one mistake, you're dead. New Testament says if you make 50 mistakes and you have two good prophetic words, God's happy and he says you're growing. Because what happens in the first pruning of the vine is is that there's very, very, very little growth and most of it is cutting of the cleaning and pruning the vine. Then what happens after you've cleaned and after you've pruned? You go back to God after you've given some words that were horrible. And it's just like, God, this is the worst word I gave. Everyone laughed at me in the whole entire place. And then he says, okay, well, look in the scripture. And he starts to open things up in the scripture. You start to hear from other people who have walked before you. And then you learn a little bit more about how God speaks to you. And then you step out. And this time you get five words right and you miss 45. So you made a little bit better. So there was a little bit more fruit. But there was also still a lot of mess and there was a lot of excess. And so God cleans you again and he teaches you again. And then this time you have 15 good words and then 30 bad ones. And so you keep going through that process and eventually the vine, the branch becomes mature and there's no longer any excess and there's only good fruit. And that's the difference between grace and the law when it comes to the spiritual gifts. And actually that's the difference between grace and law when it comes to Christian maturity and anything. Um, See, Because of grace, you live from favor out of desire. The law says, I work for favor. Grace says, I work from favor out of desire. That is a big difference there because the things that God puts in your heart, it's no longer so I can please him, but it's more so that I can have the thing that he has so put in my heart and that I want so badly and he's going to get behind me and help me. That's the difference between grace and works. Works says, uh, if I don't get my act together, I might get sick or something. I don't know. Or my, <laughs> I might get, I might, something bad might happen to me. I don't know. That's, that's what law says. Um, okay. All right. Um, and, uh, So obviously in grace, excess is something that comes with increase. So in order to get increase, in order to get growth in the Holy Spirit, you have to be willing to make mistakes. And that's just like that in life. That's just like that with anything in God. Um, Personally, my problem has never really been um, that I thought God was angry at me and didn't want me to prophesy or didn't want me to pray for the sick. Personally, my problem was what other people thought of me. That was my problem. <laughs> so some of you, you know, maybe, I mean, you have, you know, that, that thing with God and, and the Lord wants to deliver you from that. And um, my problem has always been what other people thought of me. And, um, and this is something that is, has always been something that's really um, interesting to me. Um, is one thing that I found as I started to grow in this, and there's many people in here that, 
we've, we've all begun to grow in the Holy Spirit. We're all beginning to get better. Is that as I began to get some fruit from the Holy Spirit, I found that as I acted, it's not acted, but as I presented myself to people in a way that made me seem that I was super anointed or super gifted, that it actually created an atmosphere around my life that made it difficult to take risks in front of the people that knew me like that. It was the most interesting thing in the world. So I just remember thinking about that. I would tell someone a God story about, you know, God healed this person or I got a word of knowledge and they were really touched. And they'd be like, man, that's so incredible. And then what I found was that when I was around that person again, because I was afraid of what people thought about me, I would start to guard my reputation. And so instead of obeying God and taking a risk, I would not do anything. And so it was something that was, that was really interesting for me um, to, to think about and pray through. And it actually led me to Matthew chapter 6, um, the Lord's Prayer, which says, um, lead, lead us not into temptation. Um, which is a very interesting scripture. Because obviously, Matthew chapter 6 says, lead us not into temptation. Matthew chapter 4 says, God, the Holy Spirit, led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So that then brings you to think. Like, if I'm a really analytical person. So, if that's so, so what I always used to think is, okay, if God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, that means no matter how much I pray, lead me not into temptation. If God wants to lead me into temptation, he still will lead me into temptation. So I'm going to temptation to be tempted in the tempting zone, to be tempted in temptation. But, okay, but, um, but I start, it was something that I started to realize. And then you think about it from the other angle. And then you think, okay, well, maybe God sometimes will lead me into temptation. And the other times, he's not trying to lead me into temptation. And those other times, I need to constantly pray day and night, lead me not into temptation. And so the times when he didn't want to, because I prayed that prayer and it was a really good prayer, he won't. And again, that, that just doesn't seem like the type of prayer that Jesus wants from us. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, before he talks about the Lord's Prayer, Jesus talks about this thing called meaningless repetition, repetition, which means to do a religious act of prayer without faith. So the idea of saying, okay, I'm just going to pray, 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 pray. And because I prayed the day, today I won't be led into temptation, but tomorrow I might, is completely devoid from faith. It's just completely separated and connected to religion. It's connected to somehow what I need to do is somehow going to checklist God and so he won't lead me into temptation. And what I realize is, is that lead me into temptation is actually a prayer, a conversation with God for practical wisdom. It's one of the most interesting things in the whole entire Bible. It's God. How can I create around my life an atmosphere? How can I carry myself? How can I say things? How can I do things? What are the decisions I make that can make obeying you as easy as humanly possible? Because what happens is is sometimes God leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And then sometimes Cliff leads himself into the bad internet site to be tempted by pornography. Do you know what I mean? And that's, that's, a, that's something to do with sin. But in this other sense, it's the conversation isn't just about negatives, about choosing to go to the right places, about choosing the right people to date, about choosing the, you know, the right things to do. But it's also, 
especially in the aspect of risk, especially with the supernatural, it's God, how can I do something so that I can still operate in the grace that I have on my life without having to feel like I have to live in the state of fear and the state of trying to guard my reputation all the time when I'm around people. And the Lord told me, he said, don't think of yourself to be that great. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And, um, and he always told me that every time I had um, a great miracle story or, you know, I, I looked at someone and I got a word of knowledge and they were like, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. And I'm like, dude, sometimes I miss it, you know? Like, and, and what's the point? Is that it's, it's that, yes, God touched this person, Yes, God used me to touch this person, but I refuse to present myself in a way that actually makes it difficult for me to continue to do what I do, to continue to take risks. I refuse to just because I got one good word on stage to go in and think that I'm the anointed man or to think that I'm the man of God because it, that's, that's what hype is. When you go in and you hype yourself and you say, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that, what happens is, is that what you said actually tested, tests you. What you, the, Jesus says we need to watch the words that come out of our mouth for a reason because what you say actually creates an atmosphere around you that either enables you to walk in what you're called to walk into or it actually tests you and makes it difficult for you to walk in what you're called to walk into. So um, this, is, this is sort of like the, the word that I feel like we have for us today is that it's about living before your Father. It's about growing before God. It's about knowing that God wants you to grow and that he's not going to kill you if you miss it. And the other thing, it's about always being a little man with a big God. It's about never being the guy who thinks he's like, I don't know, the super prophet man, son of Elijah. You know, I don't know, whatever. It's never about being that because when you do something like that, it actually makes growth difficult. It makes it hard. So I hope I said everything that I want to say correctly. Um, uh, what's, what are we doing for the ministry time? Okay. We have a guinea pig. Guinea pig. And Mr. Guinea Pig. So he's going to be over there, I guess. And if you want to give him a word, please give him a word. If you feel, even if you sort of feel it from the Lord, just give it to him. And if it's wrong, you know, worst thing is that you look stupid, you know. (laughs) So. There you go. Yeah, so. Hey, thanks, Cliff. That's so good. Hey, uh, I was thinking about ministry time. Um. Uh, right as you were wrapping up, and a thought came into my head. So I want to go with this first, if I can. And that is that it's just Saturday night. It's just us, right? Anybody got a hot date, like in 15 minutes? Doing special times with God, what I was talking about earlier. Not every day. I'd say through three to four times a week when I was really feeling it, and then twice a week when I wasn't. When I mean I was busy, 
And um, during those times, I would normally see something cool happen. Um, and that was, of course, then again, that level of coolness was, has, has increased, if that makes sense. But I started that in 2008. Um, so I've been doing it pretty, pretty much consistently, at least, at least bare minimum twice a week since spring of 2008. So about two and a half years. And until I started seeing it consistently, I started seeing it consistently because up until, up until I had a dream this year, this January, um, where in the dream I actually received an anointing where I no longer had to pray for the words that I got, but I was in the dream I was able to look at someone and I would just get these senses of things about them. And it was at that point when I tried that out naturally and that point it started to grow and now it's I, tr- I pretty much try to get a some form of word of knowledge for someone every day and, and I'm pretty much successful I'm not going to say that I do it every day but it's it's about five days a week so yeah it's, it's something that I, I really have tried to live out because I really have felt called to it so and then um it's it's interesting because it's like it's like if you pursue something in God and you really give yourself to it, you become faithful with what you have for a period of time, and then something supernatural comes so that you have an increase. So what happened when in January I had that dream that allowed me to get a word of knowledge without prayer, um, and then when I went to the Chuck Pierce conference in July, I was able to start to get two types like a. Like a word, like a too detailed word of knowledge. Like it was the most weird thing in the world. Like I would look at someone and I would get this sense, like it happened when I was there. I, I felt like she had problems in her teeth. General word of knowledge, teeth, okay? Ask her if it's right, if it's right, it's wrong, it's wrong, whatever. And um, so I, I asked her and I was asking her, you know, hey, do you have problems in your teeth? And then the Lord clearly spoke to me, dentures. And um, so... I got a more specific word while I was doing it. And since that time, since I went to that conference, God's given me an increase in details. And so, like, sometimes now I'll get words like, did you hurt your back when you fell down the stairs? You know, stuff like that. And so because of that, because, I don't know, it's weird, but the Lord added on to it. That doesn't mean I'm always right, but, I mean, sometimes I'll get words like that. So, yeah. yeah he's a loser. It's only five days out of seven. So yeah. Don't don't come back until you got seven for seven. Yeah, and, and Cliff, while you were giving that answer, there's a phrase while Cliff was speaking where he said that to operate in grace is to live from favor out of desire. And so those special times with God, you know, that's 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 not a hoop to jump through. That that was the desire. And then he was living from God's favor. The desire was driving him, so Let's um. Let's see. Anybody else got a question? It's okay. Okay. Can Can I say something? No. No. You're talking. <laughs> um. I. I don't. I. I just. I feel like this is a prophetic word. Um, for everybody. I just really feel like, you guys. I mean, we all do. I just feel like we all just have a desire for increase in this. And, like, you know, it's not about being qualified. Like I said, the guy who saw that lady healed, honestly, like, he's one of my best friends. But, you know, theologically, 
whatever, you know. I mean, he believes in Jesus, and his heart is good. But, I mean, you know, if, if you anyone in this room had a checklist, you know, your checklist probably would be a little bit better than his if we were going by checklists, just to be honest. You know, not to degrade him, but... But so it's it's testimony to who God is is that you don't have to be qualified. It's just really out of desire, and it's really just in your own secret place, just going after the Lord with everything. Like that's a good one. All right, well we've got two people that are going to be available for ministry time. Why don't you guys come on up? And um, these are people who know what it means to live from favor out of desire. And uh, so uh, we're we're going to go ahead and like.